0: Good morning church and good morning friends who are joining us online it's so good to be back want to thank all of you who were praying for me and for our family and uh, many of you who reached out to us through phone calls or text messages Uh, unfortunately a couple folks in our family did test positive me being one of them but um thankful for uh, common grace gifts like medicine and science um I think, you know, the vaccine wasn't able to prevent me from getting it, but I was asymptomatic the whole time, didn't feel any symptoms, and uh, so appreciative of Pastor John, who stepped in at the 11th hour to preach uh, last Sunday's sermon. Uh, So deeply appreciate that brother as well, so, Uh, but it's good to be back, and I'm glad to see you all, and again, I'm glad to see you all online. If you're joining us, let's turn to our scripture reading for today's sermon, which is going to Come from Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, or if you're using a mobile app, uh, please turn to Psalm 19. And again, I want to encourage us to keep the passage open before us, even after we finish reading it together, because we'll be referring to it several times throughout the sermon. Psalm 19, we're going to read through the whole psalm, it's not too long, and then we'll dive into God's Word together this morning. Psalm 19, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us once more. Father, as we look into your word now, we ask that by your spirit you would help us to understand this passage. Not only understand, but Lord, by your grace, to live it out in a way that would bring glory to you, joy to our own hearts, and blessing and encouragement to other people in our lives. We commit this time to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've shared this a few times over the past few weeks, but I'd like to once again share our church's vision for 2022 in case some of us have forgotten or maybe hearing it for the first time. Our vision for 2022 is recover and realign. Let me read the full statement for us. It says, we are deeply aware that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant emotional, spiritual and relational toll on our church in 2022 we are committed to r and r as a spiritual family we will offer loving and grace-filled spaces for our people to begin the journey towards recovery we also hope to realign with the trajectory of rcc's original vision as we implement our discipleship model into the life of the church I devoted one sermon on the recovery component of this vision statement and another sermon on the realign element. And in light of both of these priorities, I thought it'd be good for me to also offer a short series on our church's original core values. What are our church's core values? Well, they are, according to our website, you'll find these on our website, the Word of God, worship, biblical governance, community and the church's local and global mission. Five core values. Now, if you're not familiar with these core values, I don't blame you. It's not your fault. We may have hinted at them. I may have kind of mentioned them in previous sermons, and we do briefly refer to them in our membership classes, which uh, Pastor Noah just announced. But as I look back, I realize I've never done a sermon series on our core values, and that's an unfortunate oversight on my part, and so I'm going to try to remedy that by doing an overview of our original core values as we try to fulfill our vision to recover and realign for 2022. And today, we'll begin by considering our first core value of the Word of God as we take a closer passage A closer look at the passage we read this morning, Psalm 19. The three main parts from our text have divided our psalm into three parts. The first part is what I want to call the light of creation. The light of creation. The second is the light of scripture. And the third and last part is the response from God's people. The light of creation, the light of scripture, and finally the response from God. God's people. Let's begin. Let's start with the light of creation. Our psalm opens with a rather stunning pronouncement in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Perhaps some of us might be puzzled by this claim that the heavens and the skies are able to speak. They're talking, as it were. But many of us may also be aware that this psalm is a poem. The book of Psalms belongs to a section of the Old Testament known as the poetic books. And David here is using a common poetic device called personification. Some of us have learned that in our English classes or remember hearing about that, personification. And so, yes, in this sense, the heavens and the skies can speak. And not only can they speak, they're also speaking about God god the heavens declare the glory of god the skies proclaim the work of his hands furthermore the heavens and the skies speak continuously about god verse 2 says day after day they pour forth speech night after night they reveal knowledge in other words there isn't a single moment when god's creation isn't declaring his glory There isn't a single corner in the world that can't hear the heavens and the skies proclaiming the goodness of God and His power. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, we read, They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. The voice and the singing and the speaking of the heavens and the skies is not only continuous, it goes everywhere, even into the far ends of the world. As I look back, I'm thankful that I've had the opportunity to visit some truly beautiful locations in my relatively short life, yes, relatively short life, still young, yeah, you know, I still remember the amazement I felt when I stepped out of the tour bus in Switzerland and looked at the Alps during a high school orchestra trip. I remember feeling the same way when Jane and I visited the Banff National Park in Canada during our honeymoon. We loved it so much that we decided to go back a couple years later and we both said to each other more than once, I don't know how anyone can see something like this and not believe in a creator God. How Can this kind of majestic beauty have come about by accident? But I think one of my favorite memories is watching the sun set over the Pacific Ocean when I lived in Guam. I was there for two years, shortly after I graduated from college, but seeing that sunset day after day never got old. As we think about the sun, I want to draw our attention to the fact that David focuses particularly on the sun in our psalm. If you look with me at the second half of verse 4, he says, In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now, if we're wondering why David might seem so fascinated by the sun, it's not because he has a natural interest in science or astronomy. Some of us may recall learning in school that many ancient Near Eastern societies worship the sun as a god. But David, he knows that as bright and as powerful as the sun might seem, it's not God. The sun is merely another part of creation that declares God's glory and his power. Theologians have come up with a phrase to describe this idea of creation bearing witness to God's existence and majesty. And that phrase is called general revelation. That word general conveys two realities. First, this revelation is general in terms of its audience. Creation and nature speak of God's glory and power to every person in the world. It's available to everyone. And second, this revelation is general in terms of its content. Creation and nature attest to the reality that God exists and that he is awesome and holy. But, general revelation can't lead people to know God in a saving way. R.C. Sproul, a theologian, talks about this in his book, Truths We Confess. He says general revelation reveals that God is eternal. It reveals his power, deity, and holiness. General revelation, however, does not disclose God's way of salvation. The stars do not reveal the ministry of Christ. In fact, general revelation reveals just enough knowledge of God to damn us, to render us without excuse. Now that last point may seem harsh, but it actually reflects the teaching of Scripture, especially from the first chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. In verse 18 of Romans 1, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, this passage answers the question some of us will be asking, and that is, how is it fair for God to reveal just enough of himself through creation or nature, and yet to leave us in a state of judgment and condemnation? Or to use the words from the end of verse 20 to leave us without excuse. Well, Paul's answer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that the blame doesn't lie with God. The blame lies with us. Note especially how verse 18 specifically mentions that the innate sinfulness of human beings causes us to suppress realities that should otherwise be crystal clear. The evidence is overwhelming, And yet we suppress the truth through our unrighteousness and ungodliness. This is why a person can see the Alps in Switzerland, or the Rockies in Canada, or a sunset in the Pacific Islands and still conclude that there is no God. One of the clearest manifestations of human sin is our willful denial of the truth that's so clearly revealed by creation and nature. There is a God, and he is worthy of our worship and our thanksgiving. Michael Horton, another theologian, puts it a little bit more eloquently. He says, In its grandeur, the Grand Canyon displays the majesty of its artist, but it speaks not a word of forgiveness for sinners. For this, we need another word that comes after the fall, after the no that our race has issued to its kind creator. If we're going to know God in a way that frees us from the condemnation that you and I deserve as sinners, we need something more than the light of nature. We need something more than general revelation. This takes us to our next point. I want to call the light of Scripture. Light of Scripture. David devotes the second half of this psalm to singing the praises of God's written word. And he uses several phrases from verses 7 through 11 to describe the scriptures. In verse 7, he mentions the law of the Lord and the statutes of the Lord. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord and the commands of the Lord. Verse 9 is called the fear of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting way to describe the written word, but in this context, David's probably talking about the attitude that you and I ought to have toward the scriptures. Michael Wilcock, an Old Testament scholar, comments that this fear of the Lord is... And I quote here time honored truth, permanently valid and therefore to be revered. Verse 9 also describes the scriptures as the decrees of the Lord. Now, these are again all synonymous terms that are referring to the same thing God's truth as revealed in his written word, the scriptures. Now, when David wrote this psalm, he almost certainly had at least the first five books of the Old Testament in mind. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. Of course, you and I, we now enjoy the privilege of having the full canon of Scripture, all 66 books in the Old and New Testaments. The theologians frequently use the phrase of special revelation to refer to the light of Scripture. The Bible is God's special revelation in two senses. First, it's special in terms of its audience. Unlike the general revelation of creation and nature, which is given to everyone, God's special revelation is available only to those who hear it and believe it when someone shares it with them or when they read the scriptures on their own. And second, this revelation is special in terms of its content. God's written word reveals his plan for salvation. It shows the way for sinners to come into a right relationship with their creator. We see this again and again in our psalm. David says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Michael Horton, who I quoted earlier, offers another good word on the light of Scripture. It's a special revelation. The particular knowledge of God that we attain through the illumination of the Spirit in the written Word of God corrects our system distortion of general revelation. Not only do we need Special revelation to correct our interpretation of creation and the good, the true, and the beautiful, quote unquote, but we would have absolutely no knowledge of God's saving work for us in Christ apart from it. Goes on and says In our sinful condition, we need not only a clearer revelation of God's moral will, but an entirely different message a word of rescue, an announcement of what God has done to forgive, justify, and liberate us from our treason against His moral will and His law's just sentence. And I would say, especially with the New Testament, the written Word of God points the way to Christ, who He is, and what He has done in order to save us. God uses this special revelation of His written Word to overcome our natural resistance to His general revelation. You and I, we need the light of Scripture. Not only that we might know God, but know Him in a way that saves us from our condition of guilt and condemnation. But how should we respond to this special revelation? That's really the question, and that takes us to our third and final part for this morning. And that is the response of God's people. The response of God's people. I'd like to suggest three responses to the light of Scripture that our psalm encourages for all of us this morning. The first response is that we must worship God without any excuse. You and I, we must worship God without any excuse. We've learned that God's general revelation through creation invites a response of worship. In fact, it actually demands a response of worship. If the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands, how much more should we how much more should you and I sing his praises to please him in all we do? And this indeed is King David's prayer in the last verse of our psalm. He says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We must know God and we must worship him. That's the first response that our psalm invites. Indeed, it demands from us you and I have no excuse if we fail to do this. We must know God and worship Him. Second, our second response is, we must remember that we are known by God through His grace. We must remember that we are known by God through His grace. More than a few scholars have noted that our psalm refers to the divine creator as God in the first six verses that extol his general revelation through creation and nature. But once we get to verse 7, David switches things up a bit and refers to God by his personal name, the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Some of us may remember, this is how God referred to himself when Moses encountered him in the burning bush in Exodus 3. God was about to send Moses back to Egypt to lead his people out of slavery and eventually into the Promised Land. And who were those who knew the Creator God by his own personal name? Those was only those who were redeemed and called to live in a special relationship with him. One of the highlight moments of the Exodus story is the Passover event when God spared only the households who had killed a lamb and smeared its blood on their doorposts. Their rescue, their salvation, as it were, came at the cost of an innocent substitute sacrifice that had died in their place. My friends, isn't that the story of every person who doesn't just know God, but is known by God through his saving grace? And this is why David prays, again, in verse 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yes, David wants to worship God. He wants to please God in all that he says and all that he does. He knows that's the only proper response to his creator who has made himself known through general revelation but david also knows that the only reason he can worship god in the first place is because his god is also the lord who redeemed him by his grace and this is even more true for us for you and for me we don't simply know god as our creator if you're a christian you are known by god He is your Lord who has redeemed you from your sin through the precious blood of His one and only Son, the Lamb of God. So yes, we must know God. We must worship Him. That is our privilege. And indeed, that is our duty. But, but, we must also remember that we are known by God through His grace. That's the second response that our psalm calls for. We are known by God through his grace. We can never forget that. Third and last, we must grow in our knowledge of God and our experience of his love through the scriptures. We must grow in our knowledge of God and in our experience of his love through the scriptures. Now, I'm quite certain that most, if not all of us here and who are watching at home, online, or wherever you are right now, we would agree with this. You have no problem with that statement. We must grow in our knowledge of God and our experience in His love through the Scriptures. But, boy, it still seems so hard to build a regular habit of getting into the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, we're in February now, and I know many of us kind of started with this excited Hope that we would get through the bible for 2022 we started off with a bang january rolled around but now it's february and we've hit the wall i just want to acknowledge this because i know many of us want to become people of the word but there are some very real challenges many of us are busy that's perhaps the biggest challenge we're just struggling to keep up with a lot of things in life, not just our basic spiritual disciplines. And on top of that, some passages and even entire books are admittedly tough to read, much less understand. I mean, if you started in January, you're probably somewhere in Leviticus right now. Kind of tough. Yes, the Bible is God's timeless truth for all people in all generations, but... It was also written by human authors who lived in specific cultures, in specific periods of history that are very different than ours. It's amazing that we have these incredible resources at our disposal that can help bridge these historical and cultural gaps, but using them, man, it takes time. It takes energy, and even then, some passages can still be tough to interpret. I'm going to try to address that issue in a later sermon. But if I backtrack a little bit, I think in an ironic way, some of these wonderful resources that are available to us can actually hinder us from getting deeper into the Word. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here in the West at least, in the modern 21st century West, we have an abundance of books written by brilliant authors and scholars. We have sermons from incredibly gifted speakers that we can download or stream pretty much anytime we want. We have podcasts offered by intelligent and engaging hosts who really understand our times and somehow always seem to know how to ask the right questions for their guests. Now, these are all wonderful gifts and resources, and I wouldn't think for a second that we should stop using them. I mean, I've quoted from a few scholars in this sermon, because God doesn't just speak Through his word only to me or to you, he has spoken to many gifted scholars, theologians, pastors, teachers, leaders throughout the church's history. And we should learn from their wisdom and insight. There's no need for us to keep reinventing the wheel each generation. But, you know, having said that, I just want to caution us from allowing these wonderful secondary resources to overshadow or maybe even replace the primary resource of God's written word. Because, my brothers and sisters, it's in the Bible where we learn that we're precious in God's sight, fearfully and wonderfully made in His own image. My brothers and sisters, it's in the Bible where we learn that we're also fallen and depraved because of our sin. And so, in reality, we shouldn't really be shocked over certain things that we've done or said as much as we might regret those moments. Because, My friends, it's in the Bible where we learn that we are forgiven and forever loved by God because of what Christ has done for us. It's in the Bible where we learn that we don't just enjoy a new relationship with God when we're saved. He also places us in a new family called the church. It's in the Bible where we learn what it means to limp along with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in our journey of following Jesus together. It's in the Bible where we learn how we can worship God in a way that pleases Him each time He gathers us through His Word on Sunday morning. It's in the Bible where we learn what it means to live in true community, even with fellow believers we may not naturally click with, even with those from different racial, ethnic, socioeconomic backgrounds. My brothers and sisters, it's in the Bible where we learn how we can serve and forgive and love our family without making them our idols, even in a suburb like Naperville. It's in the Bible where we learn what it means to be on mission as Jesus' witnesses in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. It's in the Bible where we can learn how we can serve our Lord in our everyday lives at school and at work and at home. It's in the Bible where we can learn how we can honor God with our bodies, including His sacred gift of sex and how also that gift can cause such pain and misery when it's misused. It's in the Bible where we learn what it means to live as a faithful steward of all the gifts that God has given to us. Our money, our time, our health, our other resources. It's in the Bible where we learn how we can live with hope even when things seem so relentlessly dark right now. It's in the Bible where we're reminded that one day heaven will come to earth and death and mourning and sin and pain will be no more and we will see Jesus face to face as we fall down before him in worship. And most of all, most of all it's in the Bible we can learn how we can know God and be known by him through his grace that's given to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, yes, let's enjoy these amazing secondary resources that are at our disposal, those wonderful books and sermons and podcasts and so on. But let's also not neglect the precious primary resource of His special revelation that we can find only in the Scriptures My plea for myself and for all of us this morning is that we do all we can to avoid taking God's word for granted. You know, we can get the sense that David certainly didn't if we look at verses 10 and 11. He talks about how the decrees of the Lord are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward. My friends, this is why we want to keep God's word as one of our core values here at RCC. If you look at our website, you'll see this description of of the Bible on our core values page. It says, we believe the Bible is God's word to humanity and therefore relevant for every person at every moment in history. This informs our commitment to make the Bible central At Restoration Community Church, our sermons and small group Bible studies will consider the Bible's contemporary relevance by determining each text's original meaning within its context. We want to stay committed to this core value for as long as we possibly can. We want to, as individuals and as a church, treasure this special revelation of God's word so that we might know him, so that we might worship him as he deserves so we can always be reminded that we are known by God through His grace. We also want to remain committed to God's Word so that we can grow as individuals and as a church in our knowledge of God and our experience of His love through the Scriptures, through the Scriptures. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank You for our time this morning and Your Word this magnificent psalm, and we simply want to respond this morning by making this ancient prayer from your servant long ago our prayer today. Lord, who can discern their own errors, forgive our hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not rule over us. Then will we be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of our mouth This meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.